And so uh, I'm going to start this morning just with a uh, uh, confession of sorts. Uh, I know this may be shocking to you as I say this, but um, my children fight and they fight uh, quite a bit <laughs> with each other. They fight like all the time right now. Uh, uh, they they get at it each other and they kind of go after it. And so sometimes when they do, I, I've taken different approaches on how to address that with them at different times. One of the things that I like to say uh, to my older boys, they're 18 months apart, is you don't realize what a gift it is to have a brother and to have a brother uh, that's so close in age. And I kind of go through that like my uh, next youngest brother or uh, Jed was uh, 15 months younger than me and and died 11 years ago and so I say to them like you don't realize what a gift it is to have this brother that's there with you and they kind of go yeah 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 yeah, whatever and roll their eyes or or whatever and then sometimes they'll be fighting and uh, I feel like do a a good job as far as discipleship and bringing it back to the gospel and sitting down and talking to them about it Uh, just a couple weeks ago they were fighting and as they often do one gets mad at the other and I say we'll stop and they'll say well he started it and he did this first and so I went Okay, and so we sat down and we read First Peter 2 together and we read it out loud and it talks about uh, not giving back what you get and being gracious to people and extending the grace that Jesus has given to us. And, and so we went through this moment of, of here's what the gospel and how it comes back to this is exactly what God is like and the way Jesus has treated us and what it looks like. And they go off and you're kind of like, all right, all right, this is this is a good day, like discipleship and I'm pointing them to Jesus. And then some days they fight and I go, would you just stop fighting? Would you quit it? And I find myself going, don't you know that God's grace leads to repentance? Or don't you know that grace changes us? And as the words come out of my mouth, as I'm getting frustrated with them, God graciously says, you're not loving your children the way I love you. And he reminds me by his great grace. That's not what grace looks like. And you go, and then I have to go and repent. One of the greatest freeing things to me is being a parent. I blow it regularly, but then I get to go and repent to my children and tell them how I blew it and why I desperately need Jesus. And that is all God's grace in the midst of that. But the truth is, regularly, I forget God's grace to myself that he's given me. And what happens is then I'm not gracious to my children or I'm not gracious to my wife or I'm not gracious to my friends. And I forget that. And I need to be reminded of how gracious God is. Uh, Sometimes I forget how gracious he is to me just in my own internal. And I need to be reminded by others and I need to come back to God's word and hear that again and again that God is gracious. And so as we've been walking through this series for the last, this is the last of four weeks, we've been talking about these great big ideas of who God is and how it helps us in our daily walk as we forget those things. And so we call it the four G's, they're great big four kind of handles to hold on to about who God is. God is great, so we don't have to be in control. He is sovereignly in control. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. When we see God for who he is, we care more what he thinks than what anyone else thinks. And we can rest in that. God is good. We don't have to look elsewhere. And then today, the last of the four G's, we're going to talk about God is gracious. So we don't have to prove ourselves. And so as we think about God being gracious and we come back to that today, as we finish 
the four G's together. I was really thinking it, when you put these four together, they're all completely true. They're all biblical. They're all what God has revealed to us about what he is like and who he is. But I really think if we miss this last part, the graciousness of God, we can even be holding on to those first three and then severely misrepresenting what God is like. That God is gracious and he is so gracious And so I want us to think about that today, to be reminded of his graciousness towards us. Because when we miss this, when we miss the grace that God has extended to us, we miss in extending it to others. And suddenly it leads to uh, shame and guilt. It leads to struggling. It leads to religiosity that looks down on other people because we've forgotten the grace that God has given to us. And so this is so important when we talk about the four G's, about who God is, that God is gracious. And in order to do that this morning, I want us to look at this parable that we just read of what we often refer to as the prodigal son. And as we look at the parable of the prodigal son, we see Jesus addressing uh, some issues where people had forgotten how gracious God was. Or they were missing how gracious God was. And so in Luke chapter 15... Uh, At the beginning of this section in the gospel, the gospel of Luke is Luke's retelling Jesus's life. We see the context in which Jesus is speaking into. And so if you look at Luke chapter 15 and verse one and two, it gives us the context that Jesus tells these parables or this story. And I say this often, but if we miss the context of what's being said, oftentimes we can misinterpret what's being said altogether. And so there's an important context here is Jesus is speaking to real people in time, in a place that are dealing with some issues. And so it says in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. He eats with them. It's kind of like a a show of friendship. And Jesus was spending time and befriending people that were very far away from God and the religious leaders were upset about it. And so he begins to tell stories, as he often does, to illustrate his point and to teach and to show what God's like. And so he tells a series of parables here. He starts with the parable of the lost sheep, about a man who who loses one of his sheep, wanders off, and he leaves the 99 on the hillside and he goes and he finds the one and he comes back and he rejoices that he's found his lost sheep. And he tells the parable of the lost coin about a woman who loses a coin in her house and she turns her house upside down, cleaning it to find it. And she finds the coin and she rejoices that she found the coin. And then he tells the parable of what we often refer to as the prodigal son that I just read to you. And he's speaking into this context of them missing what it looks like to be gracious. Them missing the graciousness of God. And he starts to tell these stories. And so he's speaking into this context at this time, addressing the religious leaders of the day, but not just the religious leaders, but the tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts of society that have gathered around. And he tells these stories. And so I just want to remind you as we think about the prodigal son, so we think about this parable together, that this is Jesus telling us what God is like. This is Jesus correcting the misunderstandings. And he's saying, this is what God is like. And so he tells this beautiful story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, It's funny. Maybe you're familiar with it. And so I just just pray that as we look at it, that we would look at it afresh. Uh, Quinn and I, uh, my youngest son, Quinn and I were listening to it in the car on the way back on the Bible app from uh, Asher's soccer game last night. And Quinn's like, oh, yeah, I know this story. I've heard this like a hundred times. He's eight. 
right? <laughs> and so sometimes we can get in that mode of, I've heard this a whole bunch. By the way, I said, well, how would you preach it? What would you say? And he said, I think I would get everybody some fat and calf to drive home the point when they're celebrating. <laughs> I was like, where would we get fat and calf? And he's like, well, Amazon has one day shipping. He's like, okay. Not a bad idea. I don't think we're going to be able to pull that off tomorrow, but I like what you're thinking. So anyway, side note, that would be Quinn preaching. We'd all be eating steak. So maybe you do want Quinn to preach. So. But so as we get into this story, I want us just to think about seeing it afresh and what it is, because Jesus says some just remarkable, wonderful things here as we look at this story. And so real simply, how I want us to look at it, how do we miss that God is gracious and the problems it causes? Because that's what he's addressing He's going to show us some ways in which we do that very clearly in the story. But then how do we see it clearly? How does it answer the problems that they're dealing with? And so let's jump in to this story, how we miss it and the problems it causes. And so you're familiar with the story. We just read it. Young son comes to his dad and says, I want my inheritance now. And so what he's saying very literally is, Dad, I wish you would just hurry up and die. I want what's coming to me. Can I go ahead and get it now? And it's such a brazen, terrible statement for a son to say to his father. Uh, Jesus uses this example. His crowd would have understood that immediately. Not just the asking for the money, but the fact that in the culture, oftentimes you were so tied to your family. That that's the way you saw your identity and your purpose and who you were. And the fact that this guy wants his money now so he can go to another land and get away from his family was so hurtful. And so serious. And I think Jesus is showing that to illustrate what a sinful person he was and so harsh of what he was doing and what it looks like. Uh, I heard of a a kind of a friend of a friend a few years ago where the husband had, uh, I think, four children and his wife was pregnant. And he went off and had several affairs and ran up huge credit card debt and then left his wife with all of that and took off. And when we hear that kind of story, we're like, oh. Right. Like the the sadness of that and how harsh that is and all that goes with it. That's kind of the way the crowd that Jesus is talking to would have heard what he was saying, that this young son would come and say, I want my money now. And so the father in the story gives him his inheritance. He says, "Okay," and he divides it up. He divides the property. Uh, Their wealth at that time most likely would have been in land and in cattle. But then as we read the story, we see that he kind of liquidates what he has and then goes off into a foreign country uh, to squander his wealth. And as he does and he squanders it, it says in verse 15 or verse 14, he had spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who set him out into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so I want to stop right there for just a second. And so as the story, Jesus unfolds it. He hits rock bottom. He realizes, well, at least I could go home and I will go to my dad and I'll ask him if I can work for him as a servant. And I don't deserve to be called a son, but I'll go and I'll work. And I think what Jesus is alerting us to here is the first way that we miss 
God's grace is this idea in our sin and our shame and our guilt and the things that we struggle with that we can earn our way back by the way we work. That we work really hard and we do some good things and then maybe God will be pleased with me. And I deal with that. I hear people say that a lot. I've met a lot of people that have said to me, you don't know the things that I've done. You talk about God's grace and what he's like and the way he loves us, but you don't know what I've done. Or or maybe you're here today and you've come into the church and you've maybe come back to the church or maybe you're new to the church and you go, I need to kind of clean myself up and get things together so I better start going. And that's what's fueling you to be here. This is what a good Christian does. So I do these things. And so maybe if I do these things, God will be pleased with me. And we often operate in that way. We often think that way, that that's what God is like. God is just and he's harsh and he's severe and he's these things. And so if I'm going to approach him, I approach him just like this. And it's the only way that I will be able to be in his presence is I will earn my way back. And I think that's what Jesus is alerting us to when he says that he comes to himself and says, I'll go back and I'll say, I'll be a hired servant. That God can't forgive him. That he's not sure that it will be, but I'm going to try to balance the scales out. And that's often the way we think. I have these sins in my life and I've made these mistakes and I've done these things wrong, but I've done some pretty good things. And so maybe if I can balance that out a little more, God will be pleased with me. And I think that's what the younger son is saying when he says, I'll go back and I'll work there and I'll be a hired servant and I'll kind of maybe can get my foot in the door and I'll begin to earn my worth before God. Overwhelmingly, in the sinfulness of our heart, that's the way we see the church. It's the way we see religion. I need to be a good person, and if I have enough good works, then maybe God will be pleased with me. But when we do that, we're missing that God is gracious. We're also missing the holiness of God. We're misunderstanding, we're operating in a belief that somehow if I do enough things that I can bridge the gap that's between God and my sin and I can do it. And so it misses his great holiness and it also misses his graciousness. And so the young son is missing the graciousness of God at the beginning of the story that you see here. Maybe I can go back and earn my way back in with dad. But you know the story, I just read it. He gets up, brushes himself off, he goes home. And as the father sees him coming from a long way off, he runs out and meets him, lavishes his love upon him. He welcomes him back in. He forgives him, puts the robe on him and throws him this great, big, huge party. He has this celebration. My son was lost and now he's found and he's here and it's fitting. We celebrate and he celebrates and you see that. But then the story kind of shifts to his brother. I think it's wrong. I shouldn't say it's wrong, but I think it's inaccurate when we talk about this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. It's really the parable of the two sons. It's really the parable of the gracious father. But in both of it, we sometimes miss that the story is not just about the younger son and his sin and his wayward life, but it's also about the older brother. And so the party's happening and it's full volume and people are dancing and all this stuff. And it says in verse 25 that the older son was in the field and he came and he drew near the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked them what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. 
But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, but you never gave a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And so the story shifts to the older brother for a moment. And we start to see his frustration at the graciousness of the father to the younger brother. And he's he's upset. And you can kind of understand if you know uh, culturally what's going on. He divided the property between the two. Right. That's the way the inheritance would work. It would go to the two sons and it would be divided among them. And now this younger one has blown his half. And so there's probably all sorts of things running through the older brother's mind. Is he going to cut into my inheritance now? And I can't believe this. And this is my stuff and all that's going with it. And he's frustrated. But when we look at the older brother, we see that he, too, is missing the graciousness of the father. And he alerts us to another way in which we miss the grace of God. With the younger brother not believing that God can forgive him of the things that he's done. With the older brother, we see one who's forgotten that he too needs God's grace. He's forgotten God's grace to him in his life to this point. And he started to believe that all that he has in his life is due to him. Right? As he speaks to the father, he starts to say, I have never done this and I have never done that. And you've never given me this. And he goes through this whole thing of I, 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 I. And it's all about him. And I've been with you and I've been obedient and I've done these things. And he's missing the truth of his relationship with the father. That the father's incredibly gracious to the older brother just as well. But he has become self-righteous in the way he operates. He thinks that he has been faithful to the father because of what he has done, not because of the grace of the father to him. And we, too, can be in danger of doing the same thing. Sometimes we grow up in the church. Maybe God has protected you. Maybe he placed you in a home where your parents spoke the truth to you from a very young age. And you had both parents there and they loved you and they kept you and God has protected you. And you don't have a story of wandering off like the younger brother. And what starts to creep in in the sinfulness of our heart is the reason that all those things have gone so well is I am a pretty good person. And we start to believe that. And we start to be self-righteous in the way that we operate. And we start to believe that we deserve everything that we get. And what happens when we do that is we start to look down on others. Oh, they're a mess. We do that even within the church. We say we are saved by grace through faith and it's Jesus alone. But if we're really honest, there's a little part, a little voice in the back of your head that is like, but I didn't need as much grace as that guy over there. And we start to operate that way. And we start to look at people that way. And we miss the grace of God in our life and what he's done and what is true of who we are. And so I want to just ask you a question. I want you to think about this for just a second. How are you saved? If you have put your faith in Jesus and you say it's all faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. God has done this through Jesus. How did you come to an understanding to see that? How did you ever get to that place that you recognize you're a sinner and you desperately need God in your life? And the Bible's answer is by grace. The grace of God as the Holy Spirit moves in your life to reveal to you that you are a sinner, that you desperately need Jesus. 
By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God that no one should boast. So why did the older brother always stay there? And why was he faithful? And why did he continue to do those things? Because God in his grace was protecting him. And we can miss that at different times. We can miss the graciousness of God in our life right where we are. And we start to believe that it's what I do. And I'm better than those people. And it leads to division. It leads to looking down. It leads to minimizing the grace of God and his great grace to you in your life. And that's exactly what happens with the older brother. Now, if you look closely at the context and what's happening, it's not hard to figure out who Jesus is addressing. He's surrounded by the outcasts, the tax collectors and the sinners. And he talks about those that have done all sorts of unspeakable acts and how the father welcomes them back. And you can hear that. But then he's also speaking to the religious leaders of the day that are looking down. He's speaking to the older brothers. And the truth is, if we're honest, if you're a believer and you've come to faith in Jesus, there's days that you're like the younger brother and there's days like you're like the older brother. Oftentimes you're like both in the same day, just depending on what's happening. We can easily go back and forth between the two. And so Jesus is showing us the ways that we miss that God is gracious. See, the problem for both the brothers, both the younger brother and the older brother, is they think they're going to get what they deserve. The older brother thinks he deserves everything because he's good. And the younger brother thinks he can't be forgiven because he's been bad and he's not done it. But the truth is that grace is undeserved merit. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us far better. And they're both missing it on the opposite ends of the extreme, but they're both missing it, that God is incredibly gracious. And so if you sit here today and you go, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I would say back to you, you don't know the grace of the God we serve. It is so great that there is nothing that he can't overcome in his grace that he extends to us. Same is true when we forget that we think we deserve the flip side as we need to see afresh God's grace in our life and the way he's protected us and kept us and the way he's been working in all things. Sometimes we miss in this story. You know, the older brother begins to say, this son of yours, and he went off and he did this, and now you're giving him all these things. And if you think about it, there's almost like a, an envy that the younger brother got to go do all these things that he wanted to do, and yet he gets to come back. But I think part of what we're seeing is Jesus saying, you were always with me. I protected you from all of this. God's grace is all the way through that. And so I want us just to think for a second what Jesus says here to help us recapture and see the fullness of his grace in this story. We see the ways they're missing it, thinking that they get what they deserve, thinking they can't be forgiven. Both extremes. But what does Jesus say here as he tells the story that helps us to see the to alert us to the greatness of God's grace, that God is gracious. And so go back to when the young son comes to himself, it says in verse 17, right? He's there with the pigs and he's down uh, rooting around in that, thinking about eating what the pigs are eating. But it says, but when he came to himself, how many of the father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So he came to himself. Sometimes I think we miss an important piece of the story here. 
of the prodigal son. I've heard people say at different times that the, the father is there patiently waiting for you to return. And God is gracious. And if you'll just come back, he welcomes you with open arms, which is true. And that happens in the story. But I think it misses what the Bible says about who God is and what he's like. God doesn't patiently wait. He pursues. The Holy Spirit is going and pursuing and drawing people to himself. And so when you read in the story that he came to himself and said, I've sinned against heaven and my father. That is the work of God. That is the grace of God to show him. We've talked about that recently. But the ends of our sin, when we hit bottom, when we do the things that God tells us clearly not to do in the way he's designed the world, and we do them anyway, and in the end we find futility, that is God's grace. He's allowing you to feel the ends of your decisions, and that is his grace. And that's exactly what happens to the younger son. But not only that, he then realizes that I am a sinner This doesn't satisfy and I'm a sinner and I need to return. That is God's grace. God is working in every part of that. He doesn't just on his own come to himself, but it's God's grace that he ever sees his need and he gets up and he returns. And as he comes back, uh, there's the father waiting for him, but he's been pursuing him all along. And so as you see the story, sometimes we miss that. That God is passively waiting and God is not actively pursuing. God is actively pursuing. And if you feel that conviction and it's working in your heart, that is God working. Don't turn from his voice as he's speaking and as he's calling you. But as the sun arises and goes back, look at what it says in verse 20. He arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. And so when you see the picture If I will crawl back and I will hope to earn my way back into God's good graces, Jesus says, that's not what God is like. You turn to him in faith through what Jesus done and it is complete and total forgiveness. It's not you get to be a servant for a time and we'll see how you do. It's throw the robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. He's a son. He's not a servant. In Jesus, by grace, through faith, you are saved and you are accepted and you are adopted into God's family and you are a child, a beloved child of God. You're not a servant who works over here for a time to see if you're worthy to be called a son. You are saved by what Jesus does and nothing else. And that's what it means that God is gracious. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves. And you are saved by grace. And we blow it at different times. And we want to believe that now God doesn't love us or he loves us less. But that is not true because it's all what Jesus has done. 
Now, it doesn't mean that we don't feel that, that there's not healthy conviction of sin, that there's struggles when we go through those things. There are. And our communion with God and the way that we relate to him gets interrupted to some degree because we're running from him. But it doesn't change his love for you. It doesn't change his acceptance of complete and full and total. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. And so they comes back and the father races out to meet him. Culturally, when you hear this, we kind of miss that sometimes. But for a father to get up and run the way he does would have been so out of character for the culture that they all would have been like, what? And I want you to remind you that Jesus is saying, this is what God's like. This is how he is. And he races out and he meets the son. And so if you're struggling with that idea that you cannot be forgiven, hear Jesus's words. This is what God's like. But then the rest of the story, and this is why I say it's not just the parable of the prodigal son, but you get down to the very end as Jesus has this interaction or, or the father has this interaction with the older son. And he gets to it and in the end, the son is upset. Uh, he says he's devoured your property with prostitutes, but yet you killed the fattened calf for him and he's upset. He doesn't deserve this and I do and I can't believe this. And what does he say? He said to him, son... You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's a found. And then the story ends. And I think sometimes maybe we miss the beauty of what Jesus is saying and addressing here. Obviously, the older son is self-righteous and he's looking down and he doesn't believe he needs God's grace and he's missing it. He's just like the Pharisees that we see in verse one and two. Why is Jesus spending time with those people? But as he tells the story, I want you to think about the context with which he tells the story. He gets to the end and he gets to the older brother and he tells him and he says, you've always been with me and all that mine is yours. And it's fitting to celebrate. And the story ends. And I imagine Jesus telling that story surrounded by kind of the outcasts of society who hear what he just said about the younger brother. <laughs> like, Blown away that he's telling him that's what God is like. But then he says this to the older brother. And I wonder if any of the Pharisees got it. That the story ends with them standing on the front porch and what Jesus or what the father is saying to the older brother. And I think he's saying to the Pharisees are there is you can still come in and join the party. There's still time for you too. see God's grace extends to all. It's not just the younger brother. But it's to the self-righteous as well. It's both. And so the truth is, wherever you are, if you're vacillating between being the younger brother or some days you're the older brother and you're seeing your own self-righteousness, Jesus stands there saying, come. You too can come in. It's fitting to celebrate. And so as we think about the graciousness of God, when Jesus is standing there and he's inviting them in to celebrate, I love that picture. I love thinking about Jesus today. We often think like we should mess that up. I'm not gonna move. Uh, we often think in our self righteousness it's okay to be self righteous. 
I'm right and they're wrong. And so it's okay to act that way. That's not true. I'm just going to hold that for a second. That's not true. That's not what Jesus does. That's not what grace looks like. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. And so he invites them in. Last part that I want you to see here in this story, the very last thing, and we'll end here. Go back to 21 to 24. When the young son comes in and he races out to meet him and he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and let us eat and celebrate. And he calls him his son and he says, you're not my servant, you're my son. That's what's signified by the ring and the robe. And he's showing him that. In Jesus, the forgiveness that we get, oftentimes we get half the gospel. God has forgiven me of my sins. He's he's washed my sins away. Jesus has come and laid down his life for me. And he's taken all my mess and all my guilt and all my shame. And he's taken it on himself and he's paid for it. And that is true. And we celebrate that. But we often operate functionally like that happens and that's done, and now the rest of it is up to you. Now get to, get to work. He gave you a clean slate, now you keep it clean. And we miss that Jesus not only takes our sin, but he gives us his righteousness. He gives you his perfect performance, everything that he did. He loved God perfectly, and he loved people perfectly, and he does all of it. And when he goes to the cross, he takes your sin, but then he gives you his righteousness. He clothes you In his righteousness. So he can call you beloved son or daughter. Because it's completely and totally what God has done for you. And you can rest in that. And so sometimes we just get the first half and we miss the second half. But when he throws that on the young son and he lavishes on him, it's this beautiful picture of who we are in Christ. Despite our sin and our guilt and our shame and things that we've done, we are now a new creation and he loves us completely and totally and we can rest in that. That That's wonderful good news. And when we get this, when we start to function inside of that, that God is gracious and we don't have to prove ourselves, it frees us to repent. It frees us to confess our sin. I'm not saved by being perfect, and I know I'm not perfect. It's because Jesus is perfect and who I am in him. And it frees me to say, I blow it, and I am so thankful. I started there at the beginning telling you how I blow it with my children. And the good news is I get to then say to them, I blow it, and I blow it regularly, and I desperately need Jesus. And we are safe and secure in him. And so it brings it all back to who we are in Christ. And so we need to be reminded that God is great, he is glorious, he is good, and he is gracious. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this beautiful picture of your grace to us. I thank you for the story that you told that illustrates how good you are and how gracious you are, the ways that you love us and pursue us. I pray for each person here, those that have maybe forgotten uh, the great grace that you extend that are forgetting that you love us completely and totally and fully, would you impress upon our hearts afresh today that we can rest in you, that it's all what you've done and what you've finished, that as you come into our life, you begin to remake us into a new thing that that glorifies you or we are united with you. And so I pray that we would live out of that identity today, resting in your great grace to us. We pray all of it in Jesus' name.
Amen.